Welcome to the Richie Flow Nutrition Podcast. My name is Cameron Borg. On this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Charlie Arnott. Charlie is an award-winning grazier from Burrawa, New South Wales, Australia, an educator and passionate advocate for regenerative farming practices. Charlie started his regenerative farming journey 15 years ago. Previously, he and his family had been farming conventionally on their 5,000 hectare property, Hannah Minnow, for over 35 years in an industrial high-input, high-output farming business model, heavily reliant on pesticides, herbicides, and man-made fertilizers. After a series of epiphanies and through education, Charlie found the regenerative agriculture movement, a movement which reflected his instinctive connection with the land and his ethos of producing quality food for his family and the world. Charlie has been a real inspiration to myself and many others as his passion and ethics speak volumes about how agriculture can both unite and teach us. Charlie's approach to food production aims at not only creating the highest quality produce, but also ensuring that this process is also beneficial for the broader environment and the inhabitants therein. Using nature as a teacher, Charlie has been using biodynamics, a method of organic agriculture aimed at treating the land as though it was a living, breathing organism. This process builds soil structure and increases microbial biodiversity in a way that supports the growth of healthy plants, as well as the animals that subsist off of these plants. For a little bit of background, biodynamics was developed in the 1920s by the Austrian naturalist Rudolf Steiner. Steiner developed a variety of preparations to be used at various points in the seasons and lunar cycles to promote soil and plant health. Biodynamics is a growing practice among farmers seeking natural and generative ways to not only boost their harvests, but to safeguard their futures. I had a really great time speaking with Charlie. He's a wealth of knowledge and I feel privileged to have been able to speak with him about his thoughts and experiences. I apologize in advance for the slightly laggy audio at times. Uh, It's mostly fine, but there are places where it cuts out for a few brief seconds. With all that being said, I hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks so much for coming to talk to me today, Charlie. I've been uh, looking forward to this for a really, really long time. I I guess I wanted to know uh, how you got into regenerative agriculture and, um, you know, what what made you so interested in it in the first place? Um, Well, good question. Um, I'll kind of answer it around around another way. Excuse me. I didn't actually... When I got into it, it wasn't really even called regenerative agriculture. It was just kind of um, holistic farm management, sustainable farming, um, you know, doing things differently. Uh, Only weirdos did this sort of stuff. Um, You know, um, the greeny, the really greeny farmers. So it wasn't certainly something that I thought, oh, that sounds good. I'm going to sort of step into a regenerative way of doing things. It was, it was a bit more. Um, it happened over a lot of sort of a, uh, not a short period of time. It was over some years. Like anything, there's a transition phase. <clears throat> but I guess um, going back, say, 16 years, 16, about 16 years, uh, I had a, um, a series of, of uh, tension events, um, uh, Drought being one of them, you know, extended dry period, as I, I kind of tend to call them now. Um, I was probably had, you know, some, I wouldn't say severe mental health issues at, at all, at all. It's more like I was probably um, struggling a little bit with purpose, 
you know, what, what I was doing, my, my, <clears throat> it started to occur to me that my behaviour wasn't necessarily congruent with my values. Um, I did some training that kind of led me to understand that I probably hadn't really identified what my values were to then align my behaviour with it. But once I kind of did get to understand the importance of values, we all have them, but whether we actually can articulate them, can actually express them, you know, write them down and share them with others, uh, that's a whole other thing. And as farmers, we generally don't, you know, we don't do that. We are getting better at doing that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, there was some friction, you know, there was friction, you know, these tension events, um, financial pressure as well. We were just our conventional way of farming. You go through some dry periods, you know, lack of income, you still got lots of costs because you're feeding every, all your cows and your sheep or you're, you're adjusting them all over, all over the country. <clears throat> you know, there was some, I started asking questions of the, um, of the farming system that I'd grown up in and I, I had, had inherited and that I had, um, I had perpetuated myself because that was all I knew. <clears throat> you know, my childhood and my university training was all based on conventional farming, uh, which is fine. You know, it created a really good reference point for me. Uh, but I guess being an inquisitive kind of person um, always tended to want to look at the alternatives, didn't always... Um, even though I did this conventional farming once I got home years ago and sort of kept on doing it as Dad had and I, as I had as a child, you know, I was always um, pushing the envelope. I, I, I was never really a conformist. So I was conforming for a period of time until I got to a point where, where I realised that even that was going against my, my values of, you know, of, of not wanting to conform. You know, if everyone's doing... The same thing, it's probably time to start doing something differently. <clears throat> and so that's what I did. Um, and then that started very gently. Um, well, I shouldn't say gently, actually. It actually started uh, almost overnight once I started doing some training and realised that there were some things I could do to my business and my farm immediately, as simple as opening gates and letting mobs all come together as one, you know, and running them <clears throat> much more quickly through paddocks. And there's just some, some things that, you, that I did and others have done and can do um, immediately, and then other things take uh, uh, much longer. And and I'm, I'm by, by no means at the end of my journey. I certainly hope not. Um, life or farming, uh, it's it's a constant thing. Um, I'm always learning. I went to a field day last last week, week before um, uh, Maya grazing. It's a you know, um, uh, three hundred. You know, people at this conference in a, in a, in a wool shed and I learned a huge amount in, in, in two days there. So, um, yeah, that's, I, I guess, <clears throat> just to also add to that, um, Cameron, there was a, so I guess this, 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 this scenario, if I can sort of get back to that, was I was being pushed away from what I was currently doing because um, there was pain, there was financial pain, mental health pain. Um, you know, um, behavioural kind of pain, you know, not, not, not congruent with my values. Um, you know, there was a reason to get away from what I was currently doing um, and that's a push, you know. But the good news is even back then um, there was something to go towards. 
You know, it's one thing to be trying to run away from something, you know, just kind of whether it's a, you know, a farming situation or a farming business, kind of whatever it is, or a relationship even, you know. Um, but, you know, to go to something is, you know, to know what you're actually wanting to go to and what your future looks like and to know there are people out there who can support you in that um, in the community and, you know, training, that, that made it very much easier. And nowadays there's so much more of that. You know, there's actually, it's quite a, it's, you know, it, it's, it's a very attractive, I believe, very attractive, attractive option for people to, 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 to change. I'm not saying everyone should. I'm just saying, you know, for those farmers who get a bit curious about what else there is and maybe they could be doing something differently, hopefully that's better. Um, just looking and reading and listening and, you know, watching and experiencing thing and testing things. You know, half the battle is just, can just be experimental. This, uh, you know, all the different forms of, of regenerative agriculture, regenerative farming, you know, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to, you know, do it all at the same time. It's, um, it's, a, it's a very personal journey. Yeah, I'd love to come back and, and touch on a few of the specifics of some of the things that you've done. But uh, from my understanding, you put a bit of an emphasis on uh, Steiner's biodynamics um, in your in your practice and, and your workshops. And um, I was wondering um, how how you typically explain that to people because it's not an it's not a very easy thing to grasp grasp immediately. Um, and what was your introduction to biodynamics as well? So I was first introduced. Well, the first decent introduction I had to biodynamics with through was through Hamish Mackay in uh, two thousand and six. It might have been um, or five, six uh, at a conference, uh, a training training conference. I was at with Resource Consulting Service uh, RCS. They're a sort of a farming holistic farming training organisation, um, and that was a couple of hours with Hamish, and it was pretty full on. And I really, you know really resonated with me, you know, like some of the stuff you were saying was kind of like literally out of this world, very cosmic and was like what well, really challenged not just me but the whole river farmers really. Um, a lot of people just went, oh, my God, that's too much. Um, uh, I, for me, it really resonated um, uh, because it kind of, again, getting back to your original question about my sort of sense of, you know, not necessarily wanting to conform to everything that everyone did and does, um, and also being curious and also having a, whilst my training was very science-based, having a, a really uh, a love of the unknown, you know, like I, I was, I, I think it'd be really sad if we had answers to everything in, in the world of you know, science and, and whatever, you know, there's nothing to discover and nothing that can remain um, a mystery, you know. And a lot of the stuff that Steiner talks about and a lot of the, the things in, in biodynamics, it's not so much it's a mystery because a lot of it can be explained and Steiner has books and books and books about that. But it's more um, about there's that sense of creativity, a sense of individuality and how one interprets, interprets it sometimes and how one sort of um, uses biodynamics or, or practices biodynamics for their farm. It's, um, it's you know, for me it's... Um, it, it's, it allows a lot of creativity in our, in our business, you know, just because, um, you know, we make our own, literally, our creativity, we make a lot of these products ourselves on farm. 
we're not relying on someone else in a shop to sell some ag of MAP or DAP or urea or something, a fertiliser type of thing to, to, to grow stuff, you know, because then you get stuck into that market where you're relying on them and then the cost of that directly affects, the, you know, your, 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 your returns and your revenue and so on. So being able to grow a lot and produce a lot of your own stuff gives you, um, you know, sovereignty over your farm, over your business, over yourself because you're not relying on other people. So that was very attractive, you know. Um, I mean, I heard about biodynamics before. I had seen biodynamic food in shops occasionally and um, had always um, been interested in it but didn't understand And I've got to say, I don't have 45 years' worth of wisdom that Hamish Mackay has. He is a complete freak with what he knows, and I say that with all respect and I say that to his face because we're really good mates and I just an absolute awe of how he... Um, can articulate some seemingly very complex um, concepts and and not so much the practice. The practice of it is, is reasonably, you know, simple. Um, it's, it's when you start introducing elements of planets and their impact and their influence on plants and growth and, and that sort of stuff. Um, I love that stuff because, you know, um, there's a lot of science-based people and I'll, you know, I guess with my background, you could say I might have been one of them that would like to argue the point and say, well, if I can't measure it, then it's not possible. And I say, well, you know, there's lots of things in our world we can't measure. Tell me how to measure love, you know, but, I, but you know, it's there. Um, it does, you know, just because you, you can't measure it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So um, I just think it's fascinating. And, it's, you know, again, it just, it just, it just allows a lot of creativity um, in the farm and a sense of just you know reverence it's it's a way of um there's nothing there's nothing that uh very reverential if that's a word of just spraying urea or throwing urea on a crop of oats to give it a boost you know um there's there's nothing very sacred about that um you're just doing a job but when you're spraying biodynamics in, you know, on a landscape and pasture, crops, whatever, fruit and veggies, you know, there's a real, it's, a, it's an opportunity to connect with nature. Yeah, absolutely. I've had the good fortune of being able to work on a small biodynamic farm and, and you know, do a few preps and, and throw them out. And there's something really, really quite special uh, about being involved at that level. Uh, and it's um, really, really, it's almost almost like a spiritual experience when you're, stirring and, and putting those preparations out. Um, a good friend of mine um, who sort of helped me understand all of this, his, his wife would explain his job as um, agriculture meets wizardry, which I think is a, was a cool way to put it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it was so cool to see how yeah, the impact was um, on the food that we were growing because it was, you know, was completely different to the stuff you'd get at a supermarket. Um, and I guess I'd like to know how quickly did you start to notice the changes that biodynamics were making um, after you used them on your properties and, and started to uh, get into it a little bit more seriously? Well, I guess we were, um, and as still do, we grow you know, cattle, sheep, um, some pigs, yeah, we're not doing, we're doing some of our own sort of fruit and veggies just for ourselves and so on, but um, the, the 
the the impact the quality in the in the very least quant, um, quant, quality uh, impact on say fruit and veg is quite um, evident early on because it's a, there's a you know you're spraying in a in a season you harvest there's a taste and there's a you, you can actually measure it with a bricks meter and um, you know there are ways to kind of measure um, as well as using your taste buds, the, 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 the improved quality, you know, of, of fruit leaf. There's a few more sort of cogs in, you know, bits that happen between spraying a paddock and then someone chowing down to a steak. Um, <clears throat> so in terms of, I, I don't have any reference points for, say, tenderness, um, not, not sort of that I can give you numbers around. Um, we, as an example of kind of quality, um, we certainly found, interestingly enough, well, in some ways, it's not surprising, you know, behaviour of animals improved a lot. Not that they were behaving badly in the first place, but in terms of their, you know, their happiness when they go into a paddock that's been sprayed with biodynamics, um, where they move to in a, in a paddock, um, that affects, you know, tenderness in, you know, in, in a way, again, hard to measure, you know, we didn't have a control group and then a, then a happy, more tender group to sort of, you know, compare them to. Um, there was a general, I mean, again, um, what I, if, if I had my time again, I probably would have thought more seriously about putting, you know, some reference points, um, uh, turning into a little bit of an experiment and actually <clears throat> documenting earlier on, okay, what's our baseline, you know, whatever those parameters might be. Um, we did do some things like partial diversity, um, uh, soil tests and so on, um, and again, because we use biodynamics in conjunction with different grazing, a different grazing management technique, um, at about the same time, it's hard for me honestly to say, oh, because we use biodynamics, we had these results. What I can say, though, <clears throat> interestingly enough, is <clears throat> only a couple of years ago when I did some spraying of biodynamics through some paddocks uh, in Easter. And we usually spray our soil preparations after the cattle have been through, okay? And then, um, so they've eaten the grass and we spray it and it's maybe three or four months before it gets grazed again. I sprayed these paddocks in it, uh, and then about uh, July, August, August that same year, those, we had oh, 350 cows and, and heifers calving and 1,200 ewes lambing in these paddocks. And we didn't have any calving problems at all. And we usually have, you know, even with heifers, you usually get a few, um, get a pull. Um, no dramas at all, very good um, carving and landing percentages. Um, and then I thought there's something in this, you know, that I, they'd actually, because it was the first time I'd sort of consciously thought, hang on, those paddocks have been sprayed three months before. It was, a, you know, within the last trimester of the gestation of those calves and that sort of thing. And I, in some ways, put some of that success down to biodynamics because it was kind of one of the variables that, that from previous years, one of them. Um, having sheep and cattle carving and lambing together, I think, was, was, was good as well. You know, different species hanging out, chilling out, you know, just a more natural kind of environment to be giving birth. Um, and then I thought, well, if, if it works for when they're carving, how about we put the sprays out in front of them? As, so when they go onto these paddocks, paddocks have been sprayed when the bulls and the ewes are with the, the ewes and the, and the cows, right? So when they're mating. And we did a similar, you know, you know, we, we sprayed and then the bulls were with the cows going through them and the rams with the ewes. Um, 
and we had some um, improvements in our um, in our um, uh, in our carving uh, in our prep testing for those that mob. And it was kind of that again. It was one of the variables that I could actually pinpoint and say that's 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 what we did differently this year. Every year is going to be different. It's seasonal. I can't say, my God, that was definitely dynamics, but my sense of um, that kind of made it resonated with me that that, that contributed to that. Um, I mean, there's those sort of there's those qualitative and quantitative, you know, um, anecdotal kind of stories. Um, other biodynamic farmers have plenty of them too. Um, I mean, one of the benefits to me, as I might have I touched on before, there, Cameron was, you know, just my um, connection with the landscape by using Bionics in the ways that we do, um, that's a benefit to me. You know, that's a benefit to, a, to, to, to my staff. You know, they, they really enjoy going out there and spraying because they know what good it's doing. And so not all, you know, I guess benefits of biodynamics um, are all about, you know, does a tomato taste better or does a cow behave better? Right? You know, there are the the other parts of the, the system and the people in that system. Um, I mean, the, the, the complete opposite of that is if I had people running around with, you know, spray gear on in, in, in trucks spraying crap everywhere. I imagine, you know, if you ask me what are the benefits of, of, of run, you know, using chemical in my system, well, one of them wouldn't be the happiness of my staff <clears throat> because that's just not something that they would tolerate and neither would I. So, um, the benefits are many and varied. Um, they're going to, they, you know, some people are more aware of, 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 of what benefits they're going to have on their own farm. Um, and some people are going to be more, yeah, more aware and, and have different markers or different KPIs or different different kind of benchmarks for what they, what they want to get out of it. Um, look, there's an argument that, you know, we can be more methodical in terms of documenting that. Um, we are in some ways documenting other things like plant diversity and soil tests, as I said before. Um, again, hard to measure certain tenderness and eating quality um, at this point. Um, but, you know, satisfaction of our customers, 100%, um, and our butchers we sell our lambs to, um, and our pigs, you know. Um, so we're, we're really happy about it. But, you know, maybe we could just be a bit more diligent with kind of measuring some of those things. But, I mean... In some ways, that's not me. You know, I'd be happy for someone else to do it for me. Um, I find that pretty tedious, to be honest. Um, uh, I kind of, yeah, I like the sort of the more subjective appraisal of, of, um, of a lot of this sort of stuff. Um, how much have you looked into and learned about um, Indigenous agricultural methods and do they resemble um, at least... Um, conceptually, do they resemble uh, the practices in biodynamics? Yeah, um, a, a little, a little bit because I think there's a lot to look into. A lot um, hasn't been kind of even um, unearthed or discovered or dug into or, or, or acknowledged or understood. You know? um, Dark Emu by Bruce Pascoe, thats an amazing book. Um, you know, in terms of really. Um, changing the attitude of, you know, farmers around Australia and the world um, to the, you know, acknowledging the fact that, you know, the first bread makers in the world were, were you know, Indigenous brothers and sisters here in Australia, you know, and that, um, that the, 
the the management of the landscape was so um, so sensitive and considered and well managed. You know, there was not much random about what they did at all. Um, so yeah, lots more for us to learn. Very considered, very considerate as much as we kind of can grasp at this point. Um, we've we've we're sort of creating a relationship with Paul House. Um, he's um, uh, um, from uh, Canberra um, uh, and uh, Ngunnawal um, elder, and he's been to Hanamino a number of times now and done a done a um, welcome to the country. Got um, a few rituals. Um, you know, speaking a language in the landscape, a language that probably hadn't been spoken in that landscape where we are for, I don't know, 150, 200 years. I mean, that in itself was mind-blowing. Um, you know, and as, as Paul said that day, he said, you might expect a few visitors tonight. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if we did, you know, because just that spoken word in that language, um, you know, sent chills to just the significance of a, of a spoken word or sentences in in um, Wiradjuri, uh, where we are. Um, that is that that blew our mind. You know, we've been bodies running around for I don't know. Burra was settled in what eighteen thirty something, forty something. You know, we're we're speaking body language all that time. We're missing we missed a point of a lot of it. You know. So, um, yes, we have a number of different um, native species of grass. We're looking to sort of work out how to harvest and, you know, how can we share that with others? Um, you know, seed collection, um, soft, you know, soft burning through the landscape, mosaic type burning, um, you know, whether we actually get to a point of, of introducing um, other food, um, you know, native foods that aren't currently there. Um, that's something we'll be looking at, creating a relationship, land sharing. Yeah, there's, there's so much there um, that one can consider, Cameron, and it's, um, I think it's to, to at least acknowledge it and, and, and to be curious about that because I don't, I don't believe any harm can come of doing it. I think quite the opposite. I think that, you know, there's so much that we need to share and, and seeing, seeing it eye to eye, like, both our cultures, excuse me. And this is the wonderful thing about people like Bruce Pascoe and others and, and, and Paul House. You know, they are not um, resentful, you know. They are not having conversations with, you know, us whiteies and making us feel guilty or making us feel bad. You know, they're not, they're not pointing the finger. They are very clearly and succinctly saying, if we are to create the future of Australia, we need to be, you know, holding hands and speaking eye to eye and face to face and respectfully and together and working on this. You know, um, it, it's not about hierarchy. It's not about who, you know, who's better or worse. It's it's far from that. You know, we need to listen. You know, we need to be doing more listening than talking. That's for sure. Um, and we need to be asking more questions and giving answers. So um, that's the way I see that, you know, good relationships forming 
um, between farmers and indigenous uh, traditional owners, anywhere, everywhere. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I really would love to see um, more indigenous wisdom shared um, because I think we've just got so much to learn and um, the, the fruitfulness of that endeavour, I think, would be so great uh, for everyone. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that that's something that's being explored, at least um, even on a small level. Um, I guess another big challenge we're facing now is um, related to nutrition um, and the foods that we're eating. So, I mean, it's something that's become very clear to me that um, regenerative ag biodynamics is going to be very important to um, help us uh, nourish the future generations. And I guess from your perspective, uh, what role do you see regenerative agriculture um, and biodynamics playing a role in the future of, uh, of Australia and, and the, the coming generations? Um, well, regenerative agriculture um, broadly a huge part. I, I think, you know, when I sit and think about um, what are the what are the challenges that the planet is looking at at the moment, and I'm sort of stepping away from maybe the political and, and, and potentially cultural challenges we have. Um, you know, it's it's basically the environment that's a big one and the people running around in that environment, which, um, you know, humans uh, and their health and, and, and their, their health and the, and, and, the earth, and the earth, the environmental health are intrinsically linked. And that's the bit that I think the mankind keeps on missing, missing that point. Um, you know, what is one of the most biggest contributors to our health? It's our food, the food we eat. You know, we eat shit food, we, we are, we're unhealthy. We eat good, nutritious, nutritiously dense food, we are much healthier. That's, you know, it's, that's pretty straightforward. Um, in doing so, in growing nutritious, healthy food, um, we can only do that in environments which are clean and healthy and fertile and vital. Now, you know, the chicken or the egg, do you sort of go out there and go, I'm going to grow an amazing tomato and you improve the environment in which that tomato is growing? Or do you go, you know, I'm going to improve the environment and I can grow anything in that environment and it might happen to be a tomato and it's going to taste amazing. You know, it's kind of, you can't do one without the other. <clears throat> I mean, you can grow, you can improve the health of the environment and not grow food, but I think you're missing a huge opportunity, obviously, not just to grow food, but all of those foodstuffs, it's plant, it's diversity, you know, um, more diverse pasture is that you're grazing cattle or sheep on or the more diverse a vegetable garden is to supply food to a family or to a community. Um, either or, you know, the if, if we are utilising as many of those plants that are contributing in so many different ways, uh, and that's just above ground. Um, you know, if we look at the improvement of the soil, um, plants, plants grow soil, you know, and so the more we can focus on a soil that is can grow plants you know make sure it's aerated and it can take you know if water holding capacity is, you know, increases then if we just get plants in there to start growing <clears throat> then we can and those plants are food you know food plants and then get more of them in there improve the soil this this beautiful cycle this beautiful landscape function um, that we, we can't escape if we're, if we're doing it in a, in a, you know, um, in a well-managed kind of way. So back to your question, that was a bit of a side rant, but um, 
it kind of sets up the scene that, you know, we can't we can't but help to grow nutritious dense food if we're looking after the environment and considering the health of that soil and the, and the, and the, and the biodiversity of the plants um, and throw some animals in there too. You know, I, I, I really struggle with, um, you know, parts of the community population that, you know, have 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 a problem with animals being in a farming system intensive farming because I have a problem with that too. I'm talking about um, you know on grangelands, you know, um, and you know, so there's no nowhere on the planet where animals don't exist in an environment um, that's healthy. You know, you, you except maybe in Antarctica. Uh, but you know, we need that fertility. So um, whether you are growing plants to eat or animals to eat, um, the better the food will be. And our health is just going to improve. And, you know, we haven't even talked about kind of the atmosphere and carbon sequestration and what that's going to do for the environment in itself. You know, that's a whole other thing um, on top of it. So, you know, whether it's biodynamics, which I think can, you know, I know can be used in anything, whether you're growing a pot of basil or a thousand acre crop or something or got a million acres of, of, of grazing country um there's natural sequence farming there's you know key line there's permaculture there's uh, multi-species pasture cropping there's so many different practices that you know i'd say you've got a toolbox and it's a regenerative farming toolbox and you know it's got to suit your kind of style of farming and your behavior and your you know it's got to be you you got to make it your own in that toolbox there's lots of drawers and lids and things that, you know swing and move and holistic farm management your toolbox you know how often are you going to open that drawer and how often do you have to clean it out you know what sort of how many enterprises you're going to have it's all you know it's a toolbox you create using holistic farm management kind of principles um, and then in each of those drawers you're going to put different tools and that might be natural sequence farming might be permaculture all these different practices and and, and techniques and methods of growing better food and, and managing the environment. That's the toolbox you're going to fill up, you know, with these practices. And for me, biodynamics is kind of the lining and this is pasture cropping, you're planting trees, you're growing carrots or you're grazing cows. Biodynamics can play a role in all of that. So, um, you know, if you look at the other side of the coin, Cameron, you know, what role does conventional farming play, um, uh, you know, in the con continuation of mankind, um, I think it's actually, you know, it's, it's sending us to the wall. Um, physically, individually and as communities, mentally and physically and spiritually in some ways, but also the environments in which a lot of those chemicals, and I used to do it. I used to, I was a conventional farmer for many, many years and sprayed the crap out of everything. I know exactly what I was putting the water away on the backs of my cattle, essentially on the stomachs of the people who used to eat the wheat and whatever I used to grow. Um, you know, so there's environmental consequences for industrial conventional farming as well, which is um, stepping us further and further away from human health and environmental health. So, um, and look, regenerative ag, you know, it's a, some would argue is an overused expression now, and they might be right. 
Um, I don't really care what people call it. It's whatever. I mean, I even like the word generative agriculture, but it's kind of generative. It keeps on generating. It doesn't get to a point of regeneration. It's just wherever you think it needs to go, you know, the landscape that you're managing. Um, sustainable is an old word, and it's just like that's flat line. Um, that's not really achieving anything. Um, more natural farming methods, whatever it is, that doesn't really worry me. But it's, it's you know, I think we've got more and more farmers I, I, I advocate they, they, they consider it because, um, uh, you know, they're mad not to. They're mad not to just consider it. It doesn't cost them anything to think about it and read some books and maybe go to a couple of courses and just think about it, you know, um, and just, just consider... Um, you know that it it it's certainly an answer to probably some of their some of their ails that they're having, whether it's environmental, um, it's their own health. I know a lot of farmers have turned to regenerative agriculture because they got chemical poisoning. It's like I can't do this anymore. They had to get rid of the chemicals out of the system so they could actually keep living, or, or at least living on farm. You know, so um, I'm not saying all commercial farmers have, have that problem, but um, I think when one considers you know, the environmental impacts of industrial farming, um, the human health impacts, it's beholden on most farmers or all farmers, I think, just to, just to consider it, you know, with their responsibility to, to the people that are eating that food, you know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I guess something that that's made me think of is that um, most of the most amazing things that I've learnt um by reading books have come from uh, not from you know researchers or scientists but from people like Steiner and Schauberger who were naturalists you know they were out just observing nature and and living in nature and you know I think their insights have you know taught me so much more than you know a scientific article could could teach me and I was wondering how your regenerative journey has uh, shaped the way that you see the world and the way you go about things. Yeah, great question. Um, I, as I said before, I think Cameron and I kind of looked at I, I looked at the world very differently. I always have, um, or I tried to at least. And I think, um, you know, being curious and and doing literally just doing training and, and, and reading books and 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 speaking with people gave me a new perspective. You know, a new set of lenses to look look through things. I'm always, you know, like in every other course, any course I do, there's another lens that you can, you know, allows you to see the landscape differently or manage it, manage it differently. Um, I guess uh, it's probably in some ways given me, given me, how do I say this? Um, it's, it's maybe more comfortable to be a bit more lazy in our farming. You know, because our old practices used to be very high input, high output. You know, you needed to feed the feed the machine, feed the beast. You know, with inputs, with fertilizers and chemicals, and to keep the whole thing ticking over. Um, and so, you know, a lot of the changes we made, we stopped doing a lot of things, which is great. You know, we stopped spending money, we stopped stopped spending time. Uh, look, don't get me wrong. I'm not sitting under a tree all day long, you know, listening to the birds. Um, but I guess it's 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 given me a totally different perspective, you know, different reverence. Well, not I didn't 
haven't, you know, before it was a resource, it's like, right, we're going to get that dirt, we're going to grow some something in it, we're going to sell it, we're going to get those sheep, we're going to shear them, we're going to bloody sell them to the abattoir and get money for them. You know, it was a very clinical description. It allows a lot more creativity. Um, you know, I have, um, uh, I have compassion my landscape now that I didn't have before, you know. Um, I am well aware and I remember without any, you know, guilt because that was what you did. You know, you ploughed and you sprayed and you, you know, did this and did that. Um, and now my actions are much more considered. Um, we consider ourselves, you know, partners of nature, with nature now, Um you know, that in itself is huge. Um, you have to be comfortable letting go of some control um, that you probably didn't need or have in the first place, to be honest. Um, you know, we don't worry about, well, we worry about rain. Like we, we, want, we want it to rain when we need rain, but we don't sort of get too head up about it. We just got to make sure when it does rain, how do we use it most effectively? You know, that sort of stuff. Focus on what you want, not what you don't want. Um, so a lot of perspective, a lot of um, attitude to it, you know, um, not being a victim. I guess we used to play victim a lot, as understandably farmers do. It's bloody, you know, it's a drought and I've got no feed and I'm buying feed in or I'm selling my cattle for nothing of the system. Well, we, we you know. You change the perspective on that and you change the, the time frames within which you are kind of operating or seeing down the track and you're looking, you should be you know, looking years down the track, you know, and building resilience in your business so you're not going to be buffeted around quite as much by, you know, the prevailing winds of markets and drought and government policy and, uh, and that sort of thing. So and by no means we're not experts at it. You know, we, uh, we have not... It's not a silver bullet. Um, we don't have the recipe. There is no recipe, and that's also one of the good things because uh, if there was, everyone would be doing it. And, you know, again, you'd have to question the, the, the merit of that, you know, because it's got to take on different practices, you know, regenerative, more natural practices. Still has to resonate with you individually and with the structure of your business and your values and, and that sort of thing. So um, just because you pick up a few different types of more naturally based kind of Practices doesn't mean you're going to make a million dollars, doesn't mean all your problems are solved, doesn't mean you can sit under a tree and whistle to the birds all day. You know, it's just um, that's what I think some people are looking for because that's the conventional industrial mindset. It's like we want a recipe. I want to know what the inputs are. I want to know what, what I'm going to put in the oven and what's going to pop out the other end. Um, and that's not very creative. Um and that doesn't build resilient business because if you don't, if you don't have the right ingredients, the oven's not hot enough or too hot, and the thing doesn't come out right, you gotta, you know, you're gonna looking for someone to blame. And you're not able to sort of adapt as as quickly as 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 um, you might if you sort of um, you had more input into that recipe in the first place. And you made it, you, you know, you adapted what you wanted to get out of the oven. With by the ingredients that you put in, you know, and make it your own, make it your own recipe, um, because it's you know you you've got your unique set of ingredients, landscape, you know, what it's providing, um, what it's you know, 
how generous it's been, the providing weather conditions, how much cash is in the bank, whether you want to run pigs or cattle or sheep. Um, it's got to work for you, you know. That's beautiful, Charlie. Um, I know I know you've got to get somewhere, so I'd like to ask um, where. how can people support you and your work? Well, um, that's a great question. Um, you've got good questions, Cameron. Keep that up. Um, uh, look, well, I've got my podcast, um, The Regenerative Journey, um, where, where I'm not sure when this is going to hit the airwaves, Cameron, but um, it's on the... 15th of March, I think we're, we're kicking off season five. Um, that's always good fun. Um, uh, we have, um, we, we're not selling the product on, uh, at the moment. We do sell our lambs through, um, have um, some exciting uh, projects in the wind that we're looking to um, develop this year and we do run biodynamic workshops as well which are on our website we're just doing one at Burra in a couple of days time um, at Hannah Minow, um, and also planning some dates for sort of late autumn winter and spring so anyone who wants to know more about those two-day workshops get on the website charliearnett.com.au and um, leave your email there. We'll keep you in the loop. We send you newsletters, not very often, probably every four to six weeks. We won't bombard your newsletter. They're your inbox. Um, and if you like the podcast and you want to support um, what we do in, in running that, that, um, that, that show, um, we put one out every week, uh, then we have a Patreon platform where people can, for like 10, bucks a, 10 bucks a month, they get transcripts of all the shows. Um, I'm starting to do a weekly video for those guys. Um, uh, we do a monthly webinar with one of our guests. We've got one on a couple of days to time. Um, and I reckon it's really good value for the price to pay. Um, so that's that's pretty much what we're doing at the moment, Cameron. Um, yeah, so that's 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 how people can support us by um, tracking us down, seeing what we're up to, listening, and coming to a workshop. Awesome. I'll make sure I put all of those links in the in the show notes so that people can access it from this episode. So um awesome. thank you so thank much, you. Charlie. This is uh this has been an absolute uh honor to get to speak to you. So I yeah, I really can't thank you enough for giving me some of your time. That's a pleasure, Cameron, and well done you for doing, you know, because running a podcast is not something that you can sort of do for five minutes once a week. You know, there's a lot of work to it. I commend you for doing yours. Um, and interviewing people and being interested in what you know, what I'm doing, what others are doing, and and being a, a conduit for you know, educating others and and um, and you know, um, keeping people curious about the world. That's a really positive thing. Thank you so much for the kind words, Charlie. Um, I'll let you go now. We'll keep in touch. Good as gold. Thanks, Cameron. Good on you. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I really hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you'd like to support Charlie's work, I've put a few links in the episode notes so that you can easily find his podcast, The Regenerative Journey, as well as his website where you can keep up to date with all of his news and workshop dates. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can subscribe on Spotify and YouTube and you can leave up to a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. These are a few very simple, no-cost ways to support the podcast and help me get through to more listeners and get more incredible guests. 
Also feel free to leave comments on the video version of this episode on YouTube. I make a real effort to respond to all of these comments there. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Take care.